You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. This is Kean, and if you haven't heard from me for a little while, well, there's probably a good reason for that. It seems the world has gone done, been turned upside down since we last spoke. I haven't had an episode out for a little while, and that's because of some ups and downs, ins and outs, and various other uh, shenanigans that have been happening uh, back behind the scenes at the Wide Atlantic Weird cabin. I guess all you need to know for now is uh, I'm safe, I, I'm healthy, there's nothing really serious wrong, just all the usual kind of disruptions that probably all of us are dealing with at the moment. I intend this to be uh, a brief update and a mini episode if you like. Uh, I'm not able to do my usual recordings and editing to my usual standard. I'm missing a few key pieces of kit and at this time it's going to take some time before I can get them replaced. Of course I've sent away for all of the requisite bits and pieces but uh, of course during this time you know only certain uh, products are easier you know some things are easier to get than others so it might be a little while before I can get up and running uh, to the level that I would prefer. Of course, um, like most podcasters, I always have a few backup plans ready to go. I'm not really organized enough to have entire episodes backed up and ready to go, but I do have a series of uh, articles and stories that I can pull out of the bag at short notice. So just to provide you all with a little something um, before the next ones come through. Hopefully within the next week or two, I'll have access to all my uh, my old machines and my computers, my editing equipment, all of that stuff. I did have two episodes on the go that I was excited about. They were actually almost ready to come out. Uh, just to tease you a little bit, I have one sort of um, bonus episode about the history of that most maligned musical genre, new metal. So that was going to be an episode... Uh, maybe a little bit off the away from the usual topics that we talk about, but I do like to put out um, a sort of a breather episode once in a while, especially when times are tough. I recorded that one with Ali some weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. And like I said, hopefully I'll be able to get that one out uh, within the next couple of weeks. I have also uh, was wrapping up an episode on the fighting fantasy books, in particular one novel, uh, one book called House of Hell from 1984 and the connections between the 80s game book phenomena and the satanic panic. So I was very proud of that one as well. Yep, so hopefully those will be out relatively shortly. Um, until then, I have a few ideas of things I could put together relatively quickly without too much editing or any of that stuff. It'll be a bit rough and ready. Um, I don't have access to my usual theme music. I don't have access to my usual editing programs. But we'll do what we can and we'll provide a little something uh, to listen to that should be entertaining during this period. I'm drinking decaf coffee at the moment. Um, I've got a half a mug left here. It's still a little bit warm, so... And hopefully you've got something nice to listen to for the duration of this episode. Now, last time I was home in Cork for Christmas, or just after Christmas, um, I went through my old collection of books at my parents' house, and I did find some odd stories tucked away uh, for... I put them away for a rainy day such as this. So, today's uh, true story comes from a book called World's Greatest... Psychics and Mystics. It's by Margaret Nicholas and it's from 1995. So when I was a kid I used to collect all of these world's greatest books. They were um, collections of weird stories or scandals or 
and kind of weird happenings from around the world. And this one was particularly interesting to me. There's a lot of stories in it I'd actually forgotten about. I haven't read this one for absolute years. And I was very surprised um, when I dug it out a few months ago to find a story about a woman from my own county, Cork. Uh, this story involves spiritualism, automatic writing, um, writing of new biblical passages and books. So, and almost a bit of kind of cult aspect as well. So lots of things that I like to talk about on this show. I had no idea that some of this stuff was going on in Cork at the time. So that's fascinating for me. There's so much information out there about um, the history of Britain and its its sort of supernatural ideas. And I've always wondered to what extent was that culture shared in Ireland. And it, there's just not as much information about it. But once in a while you do come across a story like this one that lets you know it was happening here as well. And I'm not talking about the just the old-fashioned sort of folkloric stuff, which we do have a lot of evidence here um, in Ireland, uh, I'm talking more about the the very distinctly more modern 19th century spiritualism, theosophy, um, occult occult stuff that was going on big time in Britain from about the mid 19th century on. So this story taps into some of those ideas. So this chapter is called uh, it's from the Mind Over Matter chapter in the book, and it's about a woman named Geraldine Cummins. So I'm going to read from the book now. With that, I'll, I'll drop in a few thoughts here and there as they occur to me. So, Geraldine Cummins, a tiny Irish woman from County Cork, sat at her desk in the 1920s and wrote a vivid, compelling addition to the New Testament. Her words, biblical in style, continued the story of Paul, telling how slaves tried to murder Barnabas, his companion of the great missionary journeys, and giving an utterly convincing picture of the political and religious turmoil of the Middle East after the death of Christ. And she was not writing fiction. The book she published, The Scripts of Cleophas, had, had been dictated to her, she claimed, by someone who had lived in biblical times and knew the course of early Christian history. The communicator, said to be an agent or messenger from the long-dead Cleophas of the title, poured out detailed information about the period between the death of Jesus and Paul's departure for Athens, filling in periods that had always been considered a closed book by religious scholars. The scripts aroused great curiosity among churchmen. Many had doubts about the origin of the material. Some considered she had been sacrilegious in daring to add to Holy Scripture. Now, this is interesting to me. There's a great tradition in, in certain branches of Christianity of uh, sort of received wisdom or even almost like cult leaders who claim to have received, you know, a, a later, newer book and a, a new edition to the Bible, of course, some of the most famous being obviously Joseph Smith from Mormonism and um, or, or Joanna Southcott in the UK with the, the Southcottian sect. So again, fascinating for me to find out that something similar was happening in my own Cork in the 1920s. So to return to the chapter, but others were impressed, especially when they found she had no knowledge of the Greek, Latin or Hebrew that would have been necessary had she obtained her material simply through research. Geraldine Cummins was in fact considered by many in psychic circles to be the greatest automatic writer this century. Automatic writing, of course, being the uh, process of uh, a medium allowing a spirit to write through them using their own hand, using their own body. So they would put themselves into a trance and um, they sometimes using apparatus, they would use a sort of a 
like a, like a flat device on top of their hand to prevent them from seeing what they were doing and the hand would move supposedly of its own accord uh, being controlled of course by spirits. She produced a staggering amount of work from the spirit world. The words dictated by the messenger of Cleophas were taken down at the rate of 1,500 words an hour. She eventually had notes totalling over 1 million from which she wrote her bestseller. A small audience of distinguished churchmen, scholars and psychical investigators gathered in the Bishop of Kensington's study. They clustered round watching with amazement as she took up a pencil and started to write at a tremendous speed. Pages of the Cleophas script were being taken down before their eyes. Afterwards, a statement was issued. Scholars and churchmen admitted there was a great deal in the scripts which, considering the life and mentality of the intermediary, Miss Cummins, appears quite inexplicable on the supposition of human authority. I suppose they're trying to say here that uh, perhaps she wasn't considered a particularly educated or intelligent woman, therefore the... Um, I suppose the the depth of the material she was providing might have seen um, might have seemed surprising to them, perhaps even convincing, that uh, of the idea that there was something supernatural really going on. Geraldine Cummins herself had quite different feelings about the books she produced. "I am not proud of the Cleophas series," she wrote. "They are not of me. They are foreign in character to my Celtic racial self." She did not like Saint Paul anyway because of his reactionary attitude towards women. Why then was I compelled against my will and prejudice to write about him in such glowing terms? Very interesting here. You have someone producing material which, I mean, at least according to her own words, uh, was not necessarily in keeping with her own personal beliefs or, or her desires. Which is, I mean, it's hard to know how seriously to take her her statements on this one, but uh, I guess for those of us who are sceptical, we tend to presume that anybody who is you know, receiving messages from the other world in, in some way, uh, you know, that one explanation for it is that it's an, it's some element of their own subconscious and, and therefore their own fears or desires are being expressed in this manner. Uh, this, in, in case here, being a little bit stranger. And it's also interesting, she has a particularly Irish take on it, uh, you know, referring to her, her Celtic self. And, uh, of course, the whole notion of the Celts at the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century, a very loaded term at that time. You know, people had all sorts of ideas about how how important the concept of race was and how the Celts in particular were seen as being a rather mystical group. She was born in 1890 in the county of Cork, one of 11 children of the professor of medicine at Cork University. Uh, my own alma mater there, of course, and uh, now known as at UCC, <laughs> University College Cork. A precocious spiritualist, she was introduced to the psychic world by her father's coachman at the age of five. She did nothing much about it. Her literary talent, which blossomed at an early age, took up most of her time. She was only 22 when one of the first plays she collaborated on was performed at Dublin's famous Abbey Theatre. She wrote short stories for London's Pall Mall Gazette, and turned out two successful novels, all by perfectly normal means. So even without the the, the kind of spirit writing stuff, an extraordinarily um, accomplished woman, especially for you know a woman at that time. Um, also, I'm interested in the mention here of her introduction to spiritualism. So again, spiritualism was effectively a, a, a type of religion. I mean, it started with seances and knocking on tables and and ta and, and that sort of thing, but 
starting in America in the 1840s in upstate New York and making its way to uh, Europe and Britain just a few decades afterwards. Um, it was, you know, by the 1920s, it was, you know, one of the more mainstream of the, I suppose, of the more fringe religions. Obviously, the most famous uh, proponent of it was Arthur Conan Doyle. But again, all this stuff you read about the state of spiritualism in the UK, it's, where it still exists, actually. But uh, again, you you never hear so much about what the situation was in Ireland. So that's interesting to hear. Her psychic development came later after meeting Helen Dowden, a famous medium and automatic writer in Paris in June 1914. The two women became close friends and under Helen Dowden's guidance, Geraldine began experimenting with spirit communications, then tried her hand at automatic writing. She had to work hard. At first, she did not seem to have a great deal of psychic aptitude and her attitude to her work was always that of a researcher, cool and appraising. By the mid-1920s, however, she was producing automatic scripts at an astonishing rate. Sitting alone in a room with nothing more than a pad of notepaper and a pencil, over the years she wrote 15 books transmitted from the other world. She often produced private communications by the same method, and those they were attended for always expressed astonishment at the amount of significant and convincing detail. Some of her sitters were very famous. Canadian Prime Minister Mackenzie King usually tried to see her on his visits to London. She was living in a house in Chelsea, but she was often smuggled into the hotel where he was staying in order to avoid attention from the press. Once she conducted a seance sitting on his bed while he sat propped up with pillows after a bout of flu. At another seance in 1948, she acted as intermediary for the former American President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who had died in 1945. He warned the Canadian Premier of a bloody and terrible war in Korea and told him of General de Gaulle's coming to power as President of France in 1958. Again, interesting here how, well, firstly, the, the, the prestige with which uh, spiritualism was still held at this time. You have, you know, leaders of the world um, still consulting mystics and psychics and also interesting how late and um, this was still well known and popular so 1948 is pretty late for the history of, of spiritualism in terms of it, it being um, still a, a, you know a, a much talked about and a popular topic. Geraldine Cummins was a close friend of Rosamund Lehman the novelist and of the two Irish writers Violet Martin of Ross whose pseudonym was Martin Ross and Edith Somerville who together wrote the immensely popular stories about the Irish RM. Everybody thought their collaboration was at an end when Violet Martin died, but she continued to contribute, unknown to the world at large, through the hand of the medium. The publishers were forced to agree to her name appearing with either Edith's on works written after her death. But it was not until 1959, when Geraldine was 69, that she achieved the high point of her mediumship with what became known as the Cummins Willett Scripts. Eventually published in 1965 in her last book, Swan on a Black Sea, they proved to be an astonishing series of com communications from a dead mother to her sceptical son. Geraldine was on a holiday in Bantry Bay in the summer of 1957 when she received a letter from W.H. Salter, Honorary Secretary of the Psychical Research Society. He said he thought he had a case that would interest her, that the Psychical Research Society, the SPR, if you don't know, a very famous, um, firstly British, now also American, uh, group of people of all kinds, many of them scientists, who studied um, 
what they termed at the time psychical research, what we might now call supernatural or paranormal. And they were a very mixed bunch. You had true believers in there and you had skeptics as well. So a very interesting group. A member of the SPR had lost his mother some months ago and wanted to give her the opportunity of sending him a message. Salter told Geraldine he proposed to restrict the information given to her in order to make any success she had the more striking. He only told her that the member of the SPR referred to was Major Henry Tennant. She did not know him. His mother, the late Mrs. Charles Coombe Tennant, was a formidable, fascinating woman, Britain's first woman delegate to the League of Nations, a society hostess, art patron and magistrate. She had also been, unknown to most people, a skilled medium working under the name Winifred Willett. The crucial question was, did Geraldine Cummins know her fellow medium's true identity? She shut herself away in a quiet room and five days after being given Major Tennant's name, received the first script from his mother. There comes to me from the earth such a feeling of depression, of worrying, of anxiety, fear of death, and all derived from non-belief. If they could but realise half the glory, even a fragment of the peace of this life I now experience. She worked alone for two years until 40 scripts had been completed by November 23rd, 1959. They were full of detail about names, people, places, experiences and events in the Tennant family. It emerged eventually that part of the material she had taken down was too correct about private affairs to be published. Mrs Willett's sceptical son found only one incorrect name and wrote to the medium, The more I study these scripts, the more deeply I am impressed by them. As to whether Geraldine Cummins knew of the link between Mrs Willett and Mrs Coombe Tennant before she began, the question was dismissed as irrelevant in view of the mass of detail in the scripts. How could she, people asked, produce such intimate information without contact? Geraldine Cummins regarded the scripts as the most important work of her life. According to an article in Psychic News, she felt she was at last provided with the irrefutable evidence she demanded to satisfy her of survival after death. She went to find out the truth in September 1969, dying in her own county cork. She was 79. So this has been a strange episode of Wide Atlantic Weird. Uh, not strange in the usual way, just because we're talking about weird things. We always like to talk about weird things. It's strange, I guess, because of the strange times we're in. But hopefully we'll have more episodes still coming. I have my pre-made ones ready to go as soon as I can get my tech problems sorted out. If you'd like to interact with us, the best way to do that at the moment is Facebook. I'll put a link to that down below. If you want to check us out on Twitter as well, we are at Strange Ireland. Uh, on Instagram, we are Stra Oh, we are White Atlantic Weird Podcast. So send in any stories, send in any weird things that's ever happened to you, or any ideas for things that you would like us to cover. And we promise to believe you as long as the evidence is good. So thanks for listening. <laughs>